you may have noticed me at times uh, scribbling away uh, during, the ser- during the sermon. That's what I'll be doing now. Uh, during worship. Um, and that was one of those times where uh, you see that your sermon comes out as, as we're worshipping. And I showed Steve some of that. Some of the, the words that have been brought are actually written here already. Uh, so, so we'll come to those. And I've got proof that I didn't just write my sermon uh, during worship because I gave a copy to Dorothy beforehand. So I haven't copied it. Um, The subject that we'll be looking at today is suffering as a Christian. Uh, So we'll be doing a bit of an altar call later on if if you'd like to be flogged or if you'd like to be beaten, I'd like you to to come forward. So if you can ready yourself for that, that would be great. Uh, So if you'd like to turn to 1 Peter 4 verses 12 to 19. I'll just pray whilst you're finding that. Lord, I want to thank you that you are a God who speaks. You're a God who loves us and loves to speak to your children. Well, thank you so much uh, for speaking to us. And Jesus, we thank you so much that you went before us and that you have suffered so much for our sake. Lord, just as we heard earlier, you suffered for the joy set before you. Lord, I want to pray that you would come and that you would speak to us as we look at your words. Would you show it to us? Would you reveal yourself to us? Lord, let these not just be words, but let this be something that changes us, Lord. Amen. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you, are, as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed, because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. But let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or as a meddler. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. For it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if the righteous is scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. So I want to look at this in three ways, really. I want to spend the the first bit of this uh, looking at what we mean by the term suffering. Uh, We'll give practical examples. I'll I'll ask for some volunteers to come up, and we'll we'll get other people to beat them up. Um, The next bit is that we'll be looking at examples of others who have endured suffering. And then lastly, we'll be looking at how we should respond to suffering. So the font of all knowledge on the Internet is Wikipedia, So that's where I went in order to find out what suffering is about. Uh, This is the definition here, so uh, bear with me as I go through this. Suffering or pain, in a broad sense, is an individual's basic affective experience of unpleasantness and aversion associated with harm or threat of harm. Suffering may be qualified as physical or mental. It may come in all degrees of intensity, from mild to intolerable. Factors of duration and frequency of occurrence usually compound that of intensity. In addition to such factors, people's attitudes towards suffering may take into account how much it is, in their opinion, avoidable or unavoidable, useful or useless, deserved or undeserved. Do we know what suffering is then? I don't know if if you're like me, but when you look at definitions, I come away more confused than when I was before. 
So I just broke this down to, to try and understand it a little bit more. So some distinctions in there is that suffering can be physical or mental. Uh, the first one that we probably think of is about the physical suffering that we might endure. Uh, so we think perhaps of being beaten, we think of um, physical illnesses, we use the term that we suffer from or we suffer with. Uh, also the, the mental harm though can be just as, as harmful. Uh, this might be threats to us, this might be mocking, tormenting, etc. Uh, it differs in its intensity. So what we're on about here is that uh, we can have two people who have exactly the same experience, um, but it feels different for those two individuals because it might be at a time that we're particularly vulnerable or we might be made up differently. So if you took Nigel and myself, it, we might feel that that situation is less or more harmful uh, based on who we are. The situation uh, can involve actual harm or a threat of harm. This is probably the main difference between uh, physical or mental uh, suffering because we find that it's to do with a threat. Uh, we also find that it differs in terms of the duration. So how long it goes on for and how often it occurs makes a difference on how that experience feels to us. So if you were to suffer perhaps uh, for five minutes as a once-off, you would perhaps consider that not as bad as suffering for three hours every day. Uh, my wife suffers me daily, so please do keep her in your prayers. Um, the situation can be avoidable or unavoidable. Uh, we see some of that distinction in our verses. Peter tells us to suffer as a Christian, not as a murderer or a slander. Uh, we can avoid suffering if we avoid those sort of acts. What our verses are on about is an unavoidable suffering that we can endure. Suffering can be useful or it can be useless. So it can be useful in that it's achieving something. I would say that if suffering uh, is useless, then there's no point in us going through it. So we can find in our culture even, we, we see suffering perhaps on a daily basis. So we su see suffering in entertainment. Uh, we might find that some people get enjoyment out of watching someone else suffer. Uh, we find shows perhaps like uh, Who's Been Framed, uh, we, we get £250 back for seeing someone trip over or for some sort of harm happening to them. Uh, we also see it that people enjoy things like violent video games or movies um, and also find in Roman times things like gladiators. Um, I'm not talking about wolf and so on here. I'm talking about uh, when they, they put people in, in a ring to, to fight each other and that was entertainment. And, but that was suffering for those gladiators. Uh, you might find it with animals. So animals might suffer pain to control their behaviour. Uh, you might want to think of some of these when you're trying to, to you know, train Sophie. So uh, people can use whips or electric prods um, in order to train them to do tricks. So I'm, I'm not endorsing it as this is going over the internet and the RSPCA might track me down. But these things do happen. Uh, if, you, if you do go around to Nigel and Callie's house and find that Sophie is dancing you may wonder whether he's used this. Um, also find that it's in crime, so criminals often drive fear into others, either through physical or mental abuse, in order to coerce them to do what they want. Uh, we find it in law, so um, lawyers refer to the victim's pain in the trial in order to affect the severity of the sentence that will be placed on, on, the, vic uh, sorry, on the person who's accused. We find it in the news, so we find it daily in our news, Actually, I would say that 
Most of our news is made up from, from suffering news rather than good news. When was the last time you saw a good news article? Um, I'd love to perhaps set up a, a TV uh, show that was about the good news that happens every day. So you don't hear about the hundreds of operations that go correctly. You hear about the ones that don't go right. You don't hear about um, you know, the good things that people do. We also find suffering in rites of passage or in initiation. So we find that tribes or religions or organizations might use suffering in order to test someone's commitment to that cause. Um, and also it may be used in an initiation ceremony. Uh, this is one of the many reasons why I have not taken up rugby. Um, I don't really fancy an initiation ceremony. Uh, one of my friends did, did ask me whether I wanted to join Wrexham, football, sorry, Wrexham Rugby Club, um, but there were a few things that put me off. One is that I looked at him, and he's a huge guy, and I thought if he's that big and is coming into work with black eyes, um, I'm going to be pretty worse off. The other thing is that I know that uh, I'd probably end up with some sort of initiation ceremony that I'd have to go through, so I'm not going to join. Uh, and we also find it in a sporting context. So we hear that phrase, no pain, no gain. Uh, it's interesting that uh, today uh, there's the London Marathon. Uh, I'm disappointed to see Nigel still here. I, I thought he was going to do the marathon. Um, but, you know, that, that's part of this no pain, no gain thing. I want to show you um, quite an ugly guy behind me. Uh, this guy is, is my eldest brother. Um, he will beat me up when he hears that I've done this. Um, he did the Flanethley Marathon last week. Um, he's a bit crazy, really. I don't know why he does these things. Uh, he's always been a bit of a sports fanatic. Um, when he was young, he used to do things like uh, cross-country. Uh, he also got into rugby. Uh, he did things like sprinting as well and football. Uh, so he's, he's quite an all-rounder. Um, but the thing that he'd always said is that I would like to do a marathon. So that's what he did last week. Um, I asked him to, to tell me a little bit about what going through the marathon was like for him. So these are his words here. The motivation to run the marathon was that I was confident that I could achieve a good time. I've always wanted to do it, and having completed a couple of half marathons last year, I was in a good position to begin training. A lot better than me. In terms of pain and discomfort, I felt comfortable until about 16 miles or so, and then I began to experience the first signs of fatigue. Mine would be at one mile. At first, it just became more difficult to hold the pace, and that gradually increased. From about 18 miles onwards, my legs really began to ache, and by the time I'd reached 21 miles, they felt as if they weighed a ton, and my pace was beginning to decrease. At that point, I would give up. I'd say that that was the most difficult point of the race, as I knew that I still had five miles to go, and I felt that I was running on empty, having hit the infamous wall. The key at that point was that I knew that it was coming, and I was prepared for it. I put in the training and experienced it beforehand. I kept going to the end as I knew I could do it. I knew that I'd run 21 miles really well, and continuing to the end at the pace I was running would give me a time somewhere near what I was hoping for. The urge to stop running and walk during the final mile or two was incredible, but there was no way I was going to give up. At that point in time, nothing else mattered. The only thought in my mind was, keep pushing hard to the finish. Seeing Kelly and Megan as I passed them several times during the race and knowing that I was going to see them at the end also helped drive me on through the final stages. As I turned the final corner to the finish, 
I could see the clock and was pleased with the time. I don't know what he would have done at that point if he wasn't happy with the time. I don't know if he'd go back and start again. When I crossed the finish line, it was a huge relief to know that I'd finished in a good time, which had been my objective all along. I felt physically and mentally drained, but it all felt worth it. All the training had been worth it. For the rest of the day, I was so tired I could barely move. By the next morning, I was refreshed and feeling good about what I'd achieved. I wouldn't have. <laughs> now I'm looking forward to the next time feeling confident I can do better. Um, quite a difference between me and my brother. Um, last weekend, whilst he was doing this, I was in town with Chad, and they had a, uh, one of those electronic bucking bronco sort of things. And Chad thought it would be a good idea for us to have a go at it. Uh, so we did, and Chad did a lot better than me. Um, and it was probably about, I don't know, a minute and a half to two minutes of total time of being on there. And I came away from it in absolute agony. And it's really only until Thursday or Friday <laughs> that my legs have stopped hurting. So this shows the big difference between me and my brother. Uh, he is a lot, lot fitter than me and a lot uh, stronger minded at doing things. Um, I would have given up. Uh, he did say to me that he would like to do a marathon with me. Um, so I don't know if that's going to happen. He's 10 years older than me, so perhaps I've got a bit of time to be able to train towards that. Uh, I might just start walking you know, back and fro the shops, perhaps, to start with. Um, but th this is kind of a demonstration of some sort of suffering that we go through. He went through that, not just for the sake of it, but because he wanted to achieve a good time. He wanted the achievement of doing a marathon. When we think of all of those people today who are going through the London Marathon, each of them is doing that for a reason. It's not as if they've just walked along and thought, oh yeah, I'll, I'll just join this crowd, I'll just do the marathon. Each of those people are doing that for a reason. They might be doing it with the motivation of um, a particular charity that they're raising money for. Perhaps it's a sporting reason, like my brother. They've all got a reason for the pain that they're currently going through. So, we want to find out what's the suffering that we're going to be talking about. And it should be up behind me. We're not going to be talking about uh, the, the physical pain of doing a marathon, but instead we're going to be talking about sharing in the sufferings of Christ. This is one that I'm more motivated to do. Uh, we find this in, in verse 13, and this is where we're going to be spending our time today. When looking at, at the subject of suffering, there's a lot of ground that we could cover. Um, but today I'm not going to be discussing general suffering. Um, I'm not going to be talking about things like natural disasters, such as uh, the tsunami that we've seen recently or anything like that. What I'm talking about today is suffering uh, like Christ. So what are the sufferings of Christ? Um, we need to know those if we are to know what we're to suffer. Uh, like my brother, he said that he was prepared for the sufferings because he knew what they would be. He knew he was going to hit uh, a wall at some point, not running into it. Um, but you know, th this wall that comes over you, you can't go any further. He needed a motivation to go through that. So we need to know what are the sufferings we're going to endure. We find Jesus' sufferings um, clearly written at many points, but I'd like to look at Isaiah 53, verses 3 to 9. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, and as one from whom men hid their faces. He was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. 
Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid upon him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted. Yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter. And like a sheep that before its shearers is silent. So he opened not his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away. And for his generation who considered that he was cut off out of the land of living, stricken for the transgression of my people. And they made his grave with the wicked and with a rich man in his death, although he had done no violence and there was no deceit in his mouth. That's the suffering that we're going to be looking at this morning. And that's the suffering that we can talk about as a Christian that we will endure. So I want to unpack that. I want to look at those sufferings and compare them to us. Jesus was despised and rejected by men. Jesus' family didn't uh, believe that he was the Messiah. find this in John 7. He was um, seen as, as being one that they didn't believe. The Jews rejected him, particularly the religious leaders. And his own people cried out for him to be crucified. So Jesus was clearly rejected and despised. Have you been despised and rejected by men? And will you be despised and rejected by men? Maybe rejected and despised in your family as you're the only one who's a Christian. You may be shunned at work due to your beliefs. People may even call for you to be punished for the beliefs that you uphold. We've seen this recently, haven't we, in terms of that nurse who, who offered to pray for someone and then uh, lost her job as a result. Um, I believe that there's been a different outcome of that now. But it shows that you may be um, punished for, for the beliefs that you uphold. Man of sorrows and grief. Jesus knew the pain associated with being shunned and casted out. He knew the pain of seeing loved ones get sick and die. Do you know the sorrows and pain? Do you know the pain of being shunned and cast out? Do you know the pain of seeing loved ones get sick and die? We did not esteem him. People did not esteem Jesus. There was a time when we didn't esteem Jesus. We didn't know who he was. We didn't care about him. We find even now that as we walk down the street, people take his name in vain. People mock him. Um, even last night, I, I turned over to, to a comedy program and found people uh, blaspheming about him. And there's something in me that, that rose up. I hated hearing his name being taken in vain like that. People said, this is just the son of a carpenter from Nazareth. They didn't esteem him. Do you know what it's like to, be, uh, to not be esteemed? Do people perhaps mock you? Do people say of you, this is just so-and-so. Some of that was picked up earlier on um, with a word that said how, do, how other people think about you. You know, that people don't perhaps perceive you the way that God perceives you. He bore our grief, carried our sorrows. Jesus took on himself our every grief, our pain and our sorrow. He came by us and said, I'll take that pain, I'll take that grief, 
I'll wipe away that tear. Have you perhaps borne others' griefs? Have you perhaps walked along with them and carried their sorrows? Have you walked with someone through their loss? Have you walked with someone through their sickness or through their unemployment? Jesus was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. Jesus was battered and bruised and wounded for our sins. He took our place. He took our punishment. It wasn't his to take, but he took it for us. I don't think any of us have gone through that, but would we be wounded and bruised for another's wrongdoing? Again, this was picked up earlier. You know, it said, will, will we go through that? Would we take someone else's punishment on their behalf? Would we stand with them in that way? His sheep have gone astray, turned away from him. Jesus' disciples were scattered, and one of his closest followers denied even knowing him. Have your loved ones gone astray? Have they turned away from you? Jesus was oppressed and afflicted. He'd been seized by guards and he was chained. He had been imprisoned. He was beaten by guards and even religious leaders. Will we be oppressed and afflicted? Will we be seized by police and handcuffed? Will we be imprisoned? Will we be beaten by prison officers? Jesus was cut off of the land of the living. He was disowned by the Jews. He was disowned by his family. He was disowned by his friends. He was killed. Will we be cut off from the land of the living? Will we be disowned by our people? Will we be disowned by our family? Will we be disowned by our friends? Will we be killed? This week is obviously Easter week. We lead up to it and we we spend time looking at, at Christ. We look at the sufferings that he endured. We look at some of these and we marvel as we did earlier on, looking at why would Jesus go through this violence? Why would Jesus endure this? Such pain, such suffering. Although our pain will never be the same as what he's endured because he took on himself all of our sin and all of our pain, we'll know some of the sufferings of Christ. And we find that there's examples in the Bible of of people who went through some of those sufferings themselves. So we find just a few examples. Stephen was stoned by the Jews in Acts 7. We find that James, the brother of John, was killed by the sword under the order of Herod in Acts 12. Uh, Peter was probably shunned by his friends and even some of the church over the inclusion of Gentiles. And he was arrested in Acts 12, again under the order of Herod. We also find that Paul wrote most most of the New Testament letters whilst he was in prison. Uh, He'd also been stripped naked. He'd been stoned. He'd been ordered out of cities. He'd been beaten. He'd been whipped with rods. These guys really knew what it was to share in Christ's sufferings. But suffering wasn't something new. Suffering was something that we also see in the Old Testament. Uh, Examples are... Joseph, who was thrown into a pit by his brothers. Uh, He was then sold into slavery. He was also falsely accused of trying to rape his master's wife, and he was falsely imprisoned for that. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were cast into a burning furnace. Daniel was also thrown into a den of lions for serving God. Noah was mocked for building an ark. 
is we find that there's lots of examples of intense suffering. So I'm not going to, to finish there. We're not going to go come forward at this point if you, want to, if you want that sort of gospel. But I do think we need to understand what is the suffering that we're talking about if we're to, to know what this is all about. So we need to know how do we respond when this sort of suffering happens to us. Verse 12 tells us to expect suffering. So if you came here happy this morning, I'm going to send you away sad. <laughs> so expect suffering. So as you walk out of here, don't be surprised if you, if you endure suffering. Uh, the, there's a slight smile to my face, but actually the, this is real. You know, we are to expect suffering. Why should we expect it? Surely we're, we're the elect. Surely we're chosen by God. Surely we're his prized possessions. Well, let's look at John 15, verses 18 to 25. If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the words that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. But all these things they will do to you on account of my name, because they do not know him who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not have been guilty of sin, but now they have no excuse for their sin. Whoever hates me hates my father also. If I had not done among them the works that no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. But now they have seen and hated both me and my father. But the words that is written in their law must be fulfilled. They hated me without a cause. So Jesus says that we should expect to be hated. Again, when, when Nigel gave me this passage, I thought, blimey, this is great. <laughs> You know, what a wonderful message to del- uh, deliver to you this morning, that you are going to be a hated people. Um, but this, is, we can't ignore it. This is what we're told will happen to us. We will be hated because Jesus was hated. They hated him, therefore they'll hate you. And it is actually good news, and I do mean that. Just before our verse here, we find that Jesus had been talking about the true vine and abiding in him. Uh, He talked about us bearing much fruit as we abide in him. And these verses are saying that if we abide in Jesus, then we'll endure suffering. And it's actually almost a, a mark that we have been identified as being with Christ. It's not very easy, perhaps, um, to be identified as being a Christian. You know, we, we don't walk around uh, with, with a big sign saying, I'm a Christian. Um, people pick it up through what you do and the way that you act. So actually, for you to, to be hated is a good thing because people have identified that you're abiding in Christ. So it's a good thing. If we should expect suffering, this also shows us one of the errors of prosperity teaching. Prosperity teaching basically tells us Uh, to name and claim all that you want and need. Prosperity teaching would have you believe that if you get sick um, or you do not have a job or a nice new car or a nice new house, 
then you're in sin and there's something wrong with you. However, we find in these passages, we should expect suffering. And actually, if we were to take that that view that uh, suffering happens because of something wrong with us, we say that Jesus had something wrong with him because he endured suffering. We also find that Paul, Peter, Stephen, James, Joseph, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, Noah, etc., all of those would also have been people who lacked in faith. So we should expect suffering. Again, we're told in Ephesians 6, and this was again picked up earlier, uh, to be alert and to put on the full armour of God just to be able to stand. We're in a fight. We're in a battle. There's there's an enemy who's out to get us. Uh, That word earlier said that you are a warrior, so get up and fight. The king is here. Listen to those words. I don't believe that it's a uh, coincidence that I had written this and then that was brought earlier. I hadn't uh, conferred with you or anything like that. God wants to speak to us about this. Let's be warriors. Remember we're in a fight. Sometimes that's easy to forget uh, when we're watching TV and things seem okay. But actually, we're in a fight. Be a warrior. Stand up. Put your armour on. Jesus again warned his disciples of what they would face. He says to them in Matthew 10 verse 16 that he is sending them out as sheep in the midst of wolves. Um, don't think there's any farmers amongst us, um, but I don't think that if you owned some sheep, you'd want to send them out into a pack of wolves. But Jesus sends out the disciples into wolves and he warns them about the wolves that are there. And I'm not on about Wolverhampton Wanderers, by the way. Um, He tells them to beware of men who will flog them. You all right, Nigel? Um, He tells them they will be hated. He tells them that if the master suffered, then so will they. And if he was called Beelzebub, what will we be called? So we can see that we are to expect suffering. Again, it's a wonderful good news message I've got for you this morning. (laughs) Nigel, why did you give me this? Um, No, you wanted me to be the one who would be stoned afterwards and beaten. Thank you, Nigel. (laughs) Um, Actually, we find that suffering is something that is very much a part of being a Christian. And it could be argued that suffering characterises Christians. We are distinguished through other people by suffering. Don't go into it in order to put yourself through it. So don't perhaps you know, throw yourself in front of a car and don't you know, go and do something just to, to be beaten. But when it happens to you, don't worry and don't be caught off guard with it. So next, rejoice, be glad. Do you feel happy after what I just said. (laughs) There is good news. This is where we get to to the smiling faces, okay? Verse 13 tells us we should rejoice and be glad. We're told to rejoice when we're rejected or shunned. So practice that. When when you're walking down the street and someone ignores you, rejoice because you feel happy about it, don't you? (laughs) (laughs) The key 
is about our choice here. It's not that we're walking along and we're shunned, we're beaten, we're battered, we're bruised, and that very feeling causes us to want to rejoice. We're told to rejoice. It's something that we choose to do. Uh, In these verses, we're being told about something that is beyond the suffering that we're enduring, and we're told that the situation that we're in is actually about the glory of God. We wouldn't actually rejoice at being beaten, imprisoned, shunned, rejected, or even killed otherwise, would we? Uh, Paul actually talks about this in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 19. He says, If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we of all people are to be pitied. So if we're enjoying the suffering and this is all there is, if this is our life and that's it, there's no point going through the suffering. We're going back to that definition of suffering earlier, which talks about a useless kind of suffering. We wouldn't rejoice. We wouldn't be happy if this is just the life that we live and we're battered and beaten here. So, it's all about where our eyes are fixed. And again, this was picked up earlier, wasn't it? Someone said about where are your eyes fixed? Look up to Jesus. It's all about where our treasure is. Is your treasure here or is your treasure in heaven? Because that will shape your experience of your suffering that you endure. This was also the case with Jesus and his sufferings. Again, we we heard this earlier. Hebrews 12, verse 2. He endured the cross for the joy set before him. And again, it it was wonderful hearing that prayer earlier. Um, Jesus' joy was our salvation. It was him ransoming a people for himself. It was about him defeating sin, defeating sickness, defeating death. Jesus endured the cross, not because he was a sadist and enjoyed being beaten. He endured the cross for the joy that was set before him. So if that was what put him there, if that was what made him be able to endure it, then that's what we need to do, surely. When we endure suffering, if we just focus on this life and focus on oh no, you know, I'm, I'm without this, I'm without that, then we will be pretty depressed. But if we fix our eyes on heaven, if we fix our eyes on that joy, then we will rejoice. In Philippians 3, we're told that our citizenship is not of this earth. Our citizenship is in heaven. That's where we belong. So this life that we live here is temporary. That doesn't mean that we're bad stewards of this life. That doesn't mean that we try and end this one in order to go to the next one. This means that we live this life knowing that there's an eternal destiny to this. Uh, Using the analogy of my brother doing his marathon, he endured the pain of that marathon because of the joy of finishing it. Uh, He saw saw his girlfriend as he was running around, um, and he saw the joy of her face. Um, You know, so too, as we run this race, We look at Jesus. That's our motivation. Every time our head goes down, lift our eyes to Jesus. Push on. Uh, We also find that Paul uses the the whole example of a race. In Philippians 3, um, the passage goes from 7 to 14. I'm just going to take verse 14 here. But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. 
Paul knew suffering and he forgets all of this. He forgets that he's been beaten. He forgets that he's been thrown out of cities. He forgets that he is even writing this with chains on him. And he says, I forget all of this for the upward call of Christ. He says in Romans 8 verse 18, I consider the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Again, this guy has got his eyes in the right place. Paul, this guy who's battered and beaten, says, this, this is rubbish. When I put this on a weighing scales, when I look at all of the suffering that I've endured, and then I look up at Jesus, when I look at the glory that will be revealed, this is so much more than this. See, if we fix our eyes on heaven, if we see Jesus sitting there at the right hand of the Father, if we get caught up in praise that he has redeemed us, if we get caught up in the fact that we are joint here with Christ, if we get caught up in the fact that we are invited to the marriage of the bride and the bridegroom, if we wonder at our glorious Jesus, what you endure will be considered nothing in comparison to that. Don't let your experience shape your worship. But instead, let your worship shape your experience. I believe that that when we take situations that we endure, when we take the sufferings that we'll go through and have gone through, um, if we look at them now, they seem big if we focus on them. But actually, I believe that when you look from the other side of eternity, when you're in heaven and you look back, and you think the sufferings that you went through, I think you'll find that they are quite small in comparison to everything that you're getting caught up with in heaven. So fix your eyes on him. We need to know what suffering uh, is all about in order that we may push on. We need to know that what we're suffering will actually achieve something. There could be someone who's gone across the the line like that, actually, at the moment. Um, Romans 1. We rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. We rejoice because we know that our suffering will develop some fruit in us. If you want to, to know uh, that whole thing about endurance, if you want to be someone who knows um, how to live with things, how to push through, if you're someone who wants good character, if you're someone who wants a great hope, then you need to be in suffering. You need to go through that first. And it's actually through going through that that you will know uh, character and hope and endurance. The heroes of the faith in Hebrews 11 didn't become heroes by sitting around playing on their Xbox. Largely because they didn't have them back then, but also because they were involved in doing something. They put their faith into action and stepped out. They went on massive adventures for Christ. Uh, We find that we don't learn much through having a cushy little life. You know, when, when I go through a good time, it can be very easy for me to, to forget God. It can be very easy for me to think, oh, I'm doing well. Life's pretty good. But actually, when I go through a bad time, I have to rely on God. 
And actually we find that Paul also says this of himself. You know, we might look at Paul and think, wow, this is a great guy. Surely he always relied on God. But he says in 2 Corinthians uh, 1 that suffering made him rely on God, not himself. So actually Paul might not have been half the man he was if it hadn't have been for all the suffering that he went through. Martin Luther King Jr. says this, The ultimate measure of a man is not where he stands in moments of comfort and convenience, but where he stands at times of challenge and controversy. It's easy to stand up and be counted when, uh, when everything is going well. Much harder when there's a cost to it. Through our sufferings and hardships, we change. This process aids our sanctification. It helps us to change, to become more like Jesus. We get refined to become more like him. Um, I've checked these out with, uh, with Chris before, before saying these this morning because I didn't want to talk about chemical things uh, with a chemist in, in the room um, and get it wrong and him be sitting there going, schoolboy error. So, uh, so hopefully I've got this right. Uh, we find with gold, this is from the eHow website. don't know how, how reliable it is. Gold that is to be refined is sent to an induction furnace where chlorine gas is mixed with the raw material using a rotating lance. The chlorine gas is in, introduced in a careful manner, you would want to be careful, as to prevent gases from breaking through. Metals that float to the top of the melted gold are removed and placed in the slag as molten chlorides. These metals often include copper, nickel and even silver. From here, fumes from metal chlorides are filtered. Either a dry scrubbing or a wet filter process causes this, which is usually performed in two stages that allows for recovery and cleaning of exhaust. I was going to say exhaust here. That's a completely different thing. Exhaust air. Manually poured slag is allowed to cool slowly in a crucible where trapped gold sinks to the bottom and solidifies. Molten chloride is separated from the gold by pouring it away carefully into moulds. After the gold has cooled in the crucible, it can be manually removed and poured into chemical filters. From the filters, the gold goes through one last chemical or electrolysis, is that right? Refinements where it is dipped in a gold-based solution. Most, most gold is then moulded into bar form so it can be easily shipped and used by others to create jewellery or stored. That's a bit of a mouthful. Um, was that right? Yes, good. Mind blowing, and I don't understand it, but what I do understand is if you look at the gold that you've got on you at the moment, if you have gold, um, otherwise look at someone who has got gold on them, that piece of gold didn't simply come out of the ground like that. It had to go through a process of, reti uh, of retirement. No, not through a process <laughs> of retirement. Through a process of refinement. Retirement is a whole different thing. Uh, had to <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, had to go through this process of refinement. So the process of refinement was about um, putting it in with other things and seeing that the impurities came to the top of the surface. We find that the impurities are classed as, as things which are still valuable in our society. Silver, for example, is classed as an impurity here because it's not as pure as gold. Uh, we also find that, that diamonds are refined uh, in a way as well. 
what we find with them is that they're actually formed through carbon being squeezed at a high pressure and high temperature. Um, there would be no point in, in that pressure um, if it wasn't to achieve something. Even after they're made through this process, they're still rough and they need to be cut and they need to be refined to becoming the diamonds that you're wearing today. Is anyone wearing diamonds? No? Oh yes, there's one at, one at the back, so another one. So if you want to see what a diamond looks like at the end of all of this, have a look at these rings. Again, they didn't just come out like they are. They went through something. There was high pressure, there was a high temperature that they went through in order to become the wonderful things that we all enjoy and that we esteem. Pressure and fire cause substances to be made beautiful. There's no pressure in that if we don't know what we're aiming for. Um, I found that as I looked at this, I was reminded of, of our journey from Coventry to Wrexham. Not just the car journey, which was the journey in itself, in that I passed my driving test uh, two days before we moved here. Uh, so then spent that week doing 750 miles as we travelled um, back and forth three times. Um, it was quite a journey, that one. Um, but yeah, <laughs> more scary for Fleur than it was for me. At least I was driving. Um, what I was reminded of was, was some of the emotions that went on as, as we moved up here. Uh, we believe that, that God spoke very clearly to us about moving from Coventry to Wrexham in order to be involved in this church plant. Um, what we did is that uh, the church up in Coventry was, was quite a big church at that point. Uh, it had been where we'd been for university. Uh, we'd lived there, I'd lived there for five years. Fleur had been there for six um, we shared a lot with those guys. They, they were great friends. Uh, we, we were both on, on quite good incomes when we were back there. Um, we, we didn't really know what it was to, to be without need, did we? Um, sorry, to be with need. That's the one. Um, and we found that actually it was a great place. We, we loved being there. When we moved, actually, we were really lonely. Um, we found that, that the church was small at that point. So I think probably when we moved, there were about 20, 25 people. Um, I'm not going to tell you who was the next person in age to us, but if I say that we were the youngest by 25 years, you can uh, have a look on the front row to see who fitted that. And then you can add my age and their age to see how old they are. Uh, <laughs> So we'd gone from this place that was, that was quite a young church, uh, where most people were similar age to us, to not so young a church, um, which obviously meant that we didn't have people who, who had the same interest as us. Um, and there were nights where we just sat in. Um, Nigel, you are a great company, but there's just some things that I want to do, which I don't think you'd want to do. <laughs> 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 yes. <laughs> so it was lonely when we first moved here. Um, we also dropped income. So, uh, so Fleur didn't have a job to start with, so we went down to just the one income. Um, we, we, were just, we found it hard when we first moved here. Uh, we found ourselves being stretched beyond, it felt at times beyond what we could manage. Um, we'd been in this, this big church where you could get involved and you could do things 
um, but there was always someone else who would step in, and there was always someone else who would serve. And we moved here where it was down to us to, to all play a part in you know, moving chairs and bringing things forward and giving out leaflets and doing everything, uh, never a, a break. Um, so it was really hard. And actually, there were probably times in that whole initial stages where we thought, we'll just go home. We'll go back to Coventry because it's much easier there. But actually, we endured through that time because we knew what we were here for. If we hadn't been told by God to move here, we would have given up and we would have turned back. But actually, it was knowing what God had called us for that we endured what we went through. And actually, I'm glad that we did. (laughs) Because when I remind myself, when I look around and I see all of you guys, when I look around and see lots of people younger than me, it's brilliant. When I've got you know, friends that I go and spend time with, uh, you know, people who, who share my interests, sorry Nigel, uh, when I've got, <laughs> when I've got so, some friends here who, who will do the things that I want to do, who are similar age and so on, that's brilliant. You know, yes. <laughs> uh, it's, it's awesome to be involved in that. You know, it's great to see that we're coming up, you know, looking at planting a church in these sites. Who would have thought that five years ago? This is awesome to, to be involved in it. So we're glad that we stuck it through because we see now what's happened. Often when we're in a situation, we don't see what it's all about, but we see it afterwards. Uh, through that whole situation, actually, Fleur and I have, have probably changed more than we could ever have imagined to. Um, just to, in terms of using that gold analogy, as we find that um, impurities were brought to the surface, actually that was our experience. So there were many things and many weaknesses which came to the top of the surface. Uh, some of you guys who, who are around in the early days probably know that, that we were really immature. And thank you for sticking with us. Um, thank you to you guys for helping us through that as well. Thank you. Um, so actually, God brought those to the surface because he had a different plan. God brought them up so that they could be skimmed off. And what you were left with was something better than what was there before. Yes. And hopefully that's the case with us. <laughs> and hopefully that's the case with all of you. So the suffering we endure transforms us yes. from one degree of glory to another. Amen. We don't remain the same. We become stronger and we become more Christ-like. Why else should we take joy in suffering? We should take joy because we're not alone. When we go through suffering, we're not just left there by ourselves. When we go through suffering, it does feel like we're completely alone. So, you know, that analogy I used about uh, being in Wrexham, we weren't alone. You guys were here. You know, those guys who were here in the early days, you you were there. It just felt like you weren't. Not because of you, but because of us. It just felt like... What we were going through was so hard. Um, But actually, you were there for us. And also, God is there when you go through the suffering. Some people would say that God stands far from us when we are suffering, and that suffering is actually a punishment from him. But how can this be the case? How can it be that he is punishing us? I thought that we'd already looked at, at Isaiah 53, which says that our iniquities were laid upon him. If our iniquities were laid upon him, 
then there's nothing further to be punished. We can be disciplined, but that's a whole different ballgame. That's about being kept on the right path. And actually, that's something that happens because of being loved by God. So we find in Hebrews 12, verse 16, that God disciplines those that he loves. Discipline is not referring to punishing, but to training you, keeping you on track, just as a father might train his son and keep him on the track. That's just what God is doing to us. And he does it because he loves us. So if you're disciplined, enjoy it, because God loves you. God is always with us, no matter what we endure. Romans 8 verses 35 to 38 talk about this in length. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? It goes on. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. (laughs) Nothing can separate you from him. No matter what you endure, no matter the pain, no matter the suffering, no matter what it feels like, nothing is separating you from his love. Endure it and know that he is with you. We find also in verse 34, Jesus tells us that he is interceding for us at the right hand of the Father. I just, I get blown away every time I think of that. That when I'm there, no matter what I'm going through, day and night, Jesus intercedes at the Father's side for me. We can take wonderful confidence, can't we? You've caught it. (laughs) You can take great confidence, can't you? That although you're going through something, you have Jesus interceding for you. Again, in verse 31, we're told that God is for us. And if he's for us, who can be against us? He is the maker of the heavens and of the earth. And he's on your side. We're not talking about a weak God who's on your side. We're not talking about perhaps, you know, a little frail thing who goes, oh, I will you on, but can't do anything. We're actually talking about an awesome, powerful, strong almighty, all-powerful God, and he's on your side. So if he's for you, who can be against you? And actually, even if you die through the suffering that you endure, you get to see Jesus in his glory. So even the worst that the world can throw at you, you can take great confidence. You can have joy because you'll see him face to face. In conclusion, we find that if we are a Christian... We should expect suffering. In fact, suffering is a testimony that we are a Christian. We can rejoice that we are counted worthy of suffering for his name. In suffering, we know that we have great company, such as Jesus, our Saviour. As we endure suffering, our eyes should not be down, but should be lifted like those of Stephen who looked at Jesus and saw him in all his glory. We consider all things worthless compared to the surpassing riches of his glory and we rejoice with all of heaven. That's why suffering is good news. So I'll pray and then we'll we'll have some coffee together. 
Lord, I want to thank you so much for suffering. I want to thank you that you considered it worth it to go through the suffering that you endured. You considered that it was worth going through because of the joy set before you. I want to pray, Lord, would you help us to be alert? Would you help us to be on guard? Would you help us to expect suffering? Lord, don't let us be people who are caught out by this. Lord, help us to put on that full armour of God. Thank you that you have given us an armour. Help us to put it on. Help us to clothe ourselves in that armour. Lord, I want to pray that uh, when we endure suffering, that our eyes would be lifted to you, that we wouldn't look down, that we wouldn't look at this temporary thing, but instead we would see you, that we would see you interceding at the Father's side for us, that we would glory in you, that we would enjoy you, that we would savour you. Lord, all things are worth enduring because of you. Lord, what riches of grace we have through you. Lord, help our perspective to be right. Lord, all things are worth it because of you. Thank you, Jesus, for what you have done and what you will do in our lives. Amen.